<clears throat> so yeah, I'll start with the little mention of these two cards on your seat. Uh, one is obviously a picture of my wife and I, and uh, it says Anthem Church Denver. Uh, I don't have to say this, but I feel like saying we're obviously not, uh, we are not ourselves all of Anthem Church Denver, uh, but, but we felt like putting uh, our picture of our family uh, on a card. Uh, if this could make it on your fridge, that would be really nice. Uh, it doesn't have to, but it'd be really cool. Uh, and if when you see it, you could uh, pray for us. Genuinely, we really believe that prayer it means a lot and that uh, if we want to see something amazing happen in Denver, it, it needs prayer. It needs real, sincere prayer from, from people who follow Jesus and people who call out to him. And so please pray for us. The other two things on the back that it says uh, that we're asking people to consider, would you consider uh, joining? <laughs> I know that's a crazy thing, but if you follow Jesus, um, your life, and I'll get into this a little bit today, should, the main thing that defines who you are should be that you follow him and you do what he says. And if he happens to say, go to Denver, I would hope that you listen. And uh, there are a lot of jobs there. It's an amazing city. And so we'd love to have you join us. And then would you consider giving? Uh, what we're doing uh, is not going to be done by one person writing one check. Uh, it's going to cost money. We're, we're going to need help getting off the ground. We really don't want the first conversations that we have with people when we move to Denver be, okay, hey, uh, welcome to our new church. Would you give us money? And so part of the way that, that church planning works is we, we hope that people that do know us and that are sending us can be a part of the beginning parts of generosity. And so we ask humbly, uh, not, uh, not, I'm not like wanting to, to beat this out of anyone, but like humbly, would you consider potentially being generous to, to what we think God's doing in Denver? So that little advertisement also... As a worship leader here for, I would say, about five years. Everyone keeps getting the numbers wrong. Uh, and over that time, uh, with people from Anthem, I wrote a number of songs, and we made a little short EP. And uh, EP is, uh, I won't get into why it's called an EP. Everyone is always confused. It's just a short album. It's five songs. And if you look at the back of this card, it tells you how you can listen to it or download uh, or stream. Uh, we are, it's 2018, so I didn't make any CDs. Uh, sorry if that's your jam. I know like some cars still have CD players, but anyway, no CDs. All right. Anyway, you guys have been in a series going through the letter of Colossians. Open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We are going to, this morning, just start by reading through the passage, and then I will pray for our time again, and then we will dive in. And so, uh, I hope you have already turned there, because I'm going for it. Colossians chapter 3, we'll start in verse 12. Paul writes, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, 
and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Worship leader's favorite verse ever, right? Uh, songs and, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we come this morning as a group of people. Um, we come to your word, and, and God, we ask for you to speak. Lord, speak to us something new, something fresh from this text of Scripture. God, we want to follow you. We want to be your people. We want to know who we are uh, in light of, of your good news of the good news that Jesus came to earth, he lived perfectly, died on the cross, and then rose again, defeating and shaming the enemies of this world and and shaming uh, the evil powers of this world. Jesus, you overcame Satan at the cross. and, And God, what does that mean for our lives as we live in 2018? Lord, I pray that you would speak that over us this morning, that we would know uh, again this Sunday what your gospel has to do with our life. And uh, Jesus, we pray uh, that it, that would be this morning. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So, first question I have for you this morning is, have you ever been addicted to something that you knew wasn't good for you? And I'm not talking about like drugs or the, cra- the crazy stuff. Sorry if you've ever been addicted to drugs. But that, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, like, have you ever been addicted to eating ice cream every night before you go to bed? Or, I, I mean, I, that's, the reason I wrote that one is because it may have been a recent thing for me. Uh, or, like, Netflix, and you just can't stop. And you, you know, like, really, this isn't the most healthy thing you could be doing with your life, you know? Like, you could be out, like, uh, scaling a mountain or working out. Uh, as far as eating is concerned, there's so many better things than uh, ice cream, right? You may disagree, but uh, there's healthier options than ice cream. When uh, I was right out of high school, um, my parents sent me to a small college in West Texas. I hope you all feel bad for me. That was pretty rough. Uh, and I remember the really one of the only things that I remember, because I was only there one semester, and I couldn't handle it, and I went back home. Uh, one of the things I remember is we would spend so much time in the cafeteria. And you can understand how the freshman 15, if you've ever heard of this, can become a thing. Like seriously, my friends and I, the, the, the couple of uh, roommates, dormmates that I had, we would spend half the day in the cafeteria. And one thing I remember is that before I went to that college in Texas, I, I drank no soda. At the end of my one semester, It was like six months in Texas. I was insanely addicted to vanilla Coke, which I, I, now, if I sip, and maybe you're into it, but if I have one sip of vanilla Coke, it's like, it's so sweet. To me, it's it's way too intense. And and I, I think there's really something about, you know that something is not good for you, but you can still, uh, still do it. You know, you can still have an appetite or a craving uh, for something that you know is not good for you. When you are all driving down the 101, 
You know that stopping at Costco to get a hot dog is not good for you, but you make your friends stop every single time. Hey, uh, dude, sorry, Costco, we gotta go. They're so cheap, and something that cheap, by the way, sh I mean, you sh we should all be worried. Like, what the heck is in that thing? Uh, that's just what we do, though, right? Like, our appetites and our desires, they move us to action, to do things, even if our knowledge is that it's, it's not, not good. Just because we have knowledge does not mean that we act according to that knowledge. Knowing what is healthy does not necessarily make us healthy, right? And so just the same uh, with the Christian life. Isn't that true? Knowing about Jesus, knowing about the gospel, knowing the stories of the Bible well, which many of us who have been in the church for many years, if we know the stories of the Bible well, it does not automatically mean that we are following Jesus, that we are looking more like him day by day. It's not enough, I'm sorry to tell you, uh, just to know the good news of Jesus with your head. Knowing the gospel should call you to action. Knowing the gospel should begin to change your hungers and your desires. If you've really heard the good news of the gospel, it should change what you do. And there's a really important relationship. I want you to hear this. There's a really important relationship between knowledge and action and then your desires. And today... What I see the Apostle Paul doing in Colossians 12 through 17, which we just read, is giving us what we need to know in order to follow Jesus well, in order to follow him in a healthy way. What do we need to do? I, I think so many of us come to church and we listen to sermons, and, and at the end of many of them we go like, okay, cool, but what do, what do we need to do? What do we need to know? And, and, I, and I love this passage because it's insanely practical. Uh, Paul is going to tell you, do, do this. <laughs> and so today I have three things for you if you are a note taker, which I'm not, so I don't know why I'm crafting it this way. But uh, if you're a note taker, three things for you today. We need to know who we are. We need to know what is actually good according to Jesus. And then we need to know how to put this to practice. We need to know who we are. We need to know what is actually good according to Jesus. And we need to know how to put this to practice. And so first thing that I see all over this passage we read through is that Paul wants us to know who we are. This makes me think, if you guys have seen uh, the ridiculous movie Zoolander, it just, it, I don't know why, I just can't help but think of the moment where Derek Zoolander looks into the puddle on the street and he looks at his own reflection and he says, who am I? <laughs> that, there's, there's no point uh, drawn from that. It just makes me think of that. <laughs> this question, who am I, uh, is really important, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, especially in the letter of Colossians. Who am I in light of what Jesus has done? Who am I? What defines me uh, as a Christian? You need to know who you are in light of the gospel. If you have received Jesus by faith, Jesus gives you a new identity. And for the Apostle Paul, he cannot shake this reality. He can't stop mentioning it. He actually breaks flow of thought 
if you work through Colossians, he'll, he'll be telling you something and then he breaks. Just to remind you again, just so you know, this is because of your gospel identity. And I want you to see this. And so I'm going to flood us with scriptures and I don't want us to get hung up on the, the details, but I want us to, to just notice how Paul does this. Let's start in chapter one, verse two. He starts off the whole letter. He says uh, in, in verse two, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. So just as he begins, he says to the saints, he's reminding them of who they are. They are saints. Chapter 1, verse 12, says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is identity statements. He's transferred us out of our old life and into a new life in the kingdom. Chapter 1, verse 21 and you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. These are statements about who you were and now who you are because of Jesus. Chapter 2, uh, 11 through 14. It's a bigger chunk. It says, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. There's so much there. Big idea. Again, you were dead. You had an old life. Now you have a new life because of what Jesus did. And I'm going to remind you again, you had a debt, but Jesus paid that debt. And it has a lot to do with who you are now. Your identity is changed. Three, uh, verse one. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Talking about your current life. You've been raised with Christ. If that's who you are, then this is how you ought to live. Three, uh, uh, verse three through four. Speaking to you, the Christian, for you have died and your life is Christ hidden with Christ and God, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I'm sorry if this is too much. Uh, I just really love pointing out how Paul does this. He's obsessed. And again, our, our, our scripture today, he starts off, it's a list. I love thinking about how I, I grew up uh, hearing uh, in the church, Christianity is not just a list of to-dos, and it's not. It's not just a don't do this, do this. But I'm sorry, literally today, it's a list. <laughs> literally, it's today, it's like do these things as a Christian. But Paul cannot help himself before he gets into a list to say, do this list because of who you are. Not because you just need to do some ritual thing. This is what Christians do. Don't ask questions. That is not Christianity. Put on then, 
as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's how he starts his list. We have to know who we are in order to care about living out a list of Christian virtues. You know that's true. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have to know that you are chosen and holy and totally loved by the Father before you're given a to-do list. Why is this important? This is important because you know that this is really hard. I think this is impossible the other way around. You are not made holy and loved by God if you become compassionate. You are not loved if you become kind. You are not made holy if you put sin to death. That is not what this says. If you have received Jesus, you are instantly declared holy. You are declared forgiven for all sins past, present, future. And you are declared as a loved daughter or son of God the Father. And so we read 3 verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. We, we read it as uh, people who have a new identity in, in Jesus, as people who have already been declared holy. Knowing who you are will affect the way that you live your life. Look at this quote. Uh, if we can put it up on the screen. There's a, a guy who wrote this book uh, early 1900s. His name is Antoine de Saint. I can't uh, dare pronounce the last part of his name. Um, he wrote this little book called The Little Prince. He's not a Christian. But it's, I think, a really amazing quote. And I, I think there was a movie, a really cool animated movie called The Little Prince. But he says this. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people together to collect wood and don't assign them tasks to work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. I think that's so true. It's just, it's just a little quote, but I think there's such truth. And I think that the way Paul writes to the church at Colossae, I think he's... he's He's acting this way. He believes this type of idea. That, that you need to know who you are. And if you're struggling to follow Jesus, as many of us do struggle to follow Jesus, I would argue that nine times out of ten, you have forgotten who you are in Jesus. That's the base problem, nine times out of ten. And so, have you forgotten the endless immensity of the sea that you are called to in Jesus? Um, we need to know who we are in Jesus. The second thing I see in this passage today is that we need to know what is actually good according to Jesus. I know I said earlier uh, that just because you have a knowledge of what is healthy doesn't mean that you'll, actually, uh, that you'll automatically be healthy. That is true. But do we actually need to know, but we actually do need to know what is good according to God. We actually need this knowledge in order to uh, walk in these ways. And believe it or not, we don't naturally think the way God thinks. We need his spirit and we need his word to give us what is good. I have some amazing friends uh, from San Diego, my wife and I have spent the last six months in San Diego doing a leadership residency, learning from this church in San Diego. And there's this uh, really cool couple. 
uh, that I met early on, and their story is that they got saved in this church. They, they knew nothing of Christianity in their past. They didn't grow up in it at all. And when they first uh, both got baptized and saved in the church, they were living together, uh, a, a non-married, just like dating couple, and living together and sleeping together. And it was totally news to them to find out that it is not Jesus' desire for them to be sleeping together and living together before they're married. It was news. And I, I love this almost more than uh, many of us who've been following Jesus for years. You know, it's just like these people had no idea. And when they, when they heard that that's not God's ideal, they immediately moved out and they were, they were engaged and they moved up their wedding date uh, for, you know, they wanted to be married sooner. Uh, <laughs> they moved out and stopped sleeping together, and they, they responded with such humility. And uh, it, was, it was really kind of like a beautiful ignorance, if you think about it. Like, um, but they needed to know. You know, they needed to know what, what God uh, wanted for them. And I, I think it can be really easy to read over a list like what we see here in 12 through 17, and just zone out. Yeah, compassion and kindness and, and wimpy Christian meekness kind of stuff. I think we could, I even could maybe read this like, oh, it just kind of says, be nice as Jesus was nice. And we're totally missing it. These Christian virtues are countercultural, I will say. These are not normal ways people are living in our world. And what if we think we know what's good? Uh, what, what if we think we know, but we're, but we're missing it? I think I miss it constantly. I miss things from this list even. I've been walking with Jesus for, for almost 10 years now. I want you to imagine with me uh, that there are two cities. One city that embodies this section of Scripture above, uh, verse 5 through 8. The city lives in total sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. And the city lives in anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. And then there's another city where every person lives out verses 12 through 14. They are people who constantly live with compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another in this city, they forgive each other. Above all these, they put on love, which binds them together in perfect harmony. Which of these two cities would you like to live in? Well, I'll tell you about this city. It's called Denver, Colorado. And you're all invited. We're leaving tomorrow. Um, I'm only sort of joking. Uh, <laughs> No, they're actually really messed up people there, just like every place. But can you imagine the political struggles that would just be resolved? Can you imagine the poverty that should and would be destroyed? Can you imagine uh, this perfect city where everyone forgives everyone? I think obviously most of us in the room would say we want to be in that kind of place. That place sounds beautiful. But as I see our world today, and even as I think about the modern church, I actually believe that many of our core desires are very different than much of this list. 
many, uh, much of our core hungers, what we really want out of life, are not necessarily compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. Can I honestly say that I have a compassionate heart? Uh, compassionate heart here can be translated uh, large-heartedness, which makes me think of the Grinch when his, his heart was small and grows three times. Put on a heart that grows for other, others. Put on a heart that makes room for, for all sorts of people, people that you don't like. Annoying neighbors. Put on a heart of compassion for people that are different than you, that look different than you. Uh, for the stranger, for the foreigner, for the immigrant even, for your neighbor. And even as, as uh, there's such a conversation about immigrants in our country right now, um, not t making any sort of political commentary at all, our country has to do what they have to do. They have to make decisions, they have to lead, and, and, and the leaders have to do things. <laughs> That's as much as I can say. Uh, they have to do stuff, right? And this here, though, calls us to have compassion. And so my, my only thought is, should those things um, cancel each other out? Absolutely not. If there's, if there's immigrants struggling, we should have compassion. I'm not saying that means that we need to be one way or the other about legislation and laws, but I am saying we should have compassion for those who hurt and room in, for our, in our hearts for those who are struggling in this world. That's what Jesus does. Remember the way that Jesus interacted. If you think through the stories of the gospel, the way he had compassion on everyone he came uh, along to. Different people. People that totally disagreed with him. People from worldviews that were so counter to his worldview. Matthew 9, 36 says of Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Man, how many people in our neighborhoods are harassed and helpless? Maybe by things they've even done to themselves, but still have compassion for them because they're in a hurt and a sheep without a shepherd. And uh, I'm even just so challenged by this uh, myself. How often am I moved towards annoyance and even anger at the way some people live rather than move towards compassion and large-heartedness? My neighbor the other day, I was pulling my trailer through the back alley and he couldn't get through and he, like, he wanted to fight me. It, I think he actually wanted to fight me and, in San Diego and I was anger, ang angry, so angry. Like I was thinking, like, I, I think I do want to throw down. <laughs> this is my moment. Never fought before, but I'm about to throw some fists. And uh, oh my gosh, I just, I, I felt... So bitter and angry at this guy, and I was thinking about it for the rest of the day, like, how dare he? And that's not a compassionate heart. That's not, uh, that's not the way of Jesus. Um, do we put on kindness? Do we really work daily to put on humility? Do we even believe in such a thing as meekness? Meekness, 
unfortunately rhymes with weakness. And so I think that's what we think it is. You're meant to be weak. That's, that's not what it means. And you, you need to imagine when you read weakness in the, meekness in the Bible, to be meek is more like a, a, an incredibly strong horse that's incredibly powerful that has been tamed and has self-control. Meekness is power under control. We trust in God. We trust the power of the gospel to be true, that we never need to de- defend ourselves. We never need to fight back. We never need to feel a sense of fear or self-preservation because we know that our Father in heaven, heaven protects us and will defend us. And so putting on meekness is putting on that. We can be meek and under control and not react because we trust God. We know with such confidence that our God has our back. We are already citizens of a kingdom that will never fail. And because of this, verse 13 is possible. Look at it. We can bear with one another. Bear with one another. And if one is complaining against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We can bear with one another and we can forgive each other and we can love one another. It's possible, but only possible if we really know who we are in Jesus. I love how honest the the phrase bearing with one another is. Isn't Isn't that like ridiculously honest? The truth is in this community, in this church, you are going to need to bear with one another. I really don't like the phrase tolerance. And this is a personal thing um, that I will share with you. Uh, Tolerance, I think, is a modern-day lie. Many people act as if they are tolerant of everyone, but they are really not. And and again, again, I'm talking about the idea that people put out about tolerance, not necessarily the word tolerance. So often I hear people arguing for tolerance, and what I hear them saying is that you cannot disagree with anything, with any point of view, or else you're being intolerant. You can't disagree with someone. And call me crazy, but I think that sounds pretty dang intolerant. It sounds like a recipe for destroying diversity. It sounds like not encouraging people to be able to to speak with where they're coming from. And I love Jesus because he eats and drinks and hangs with people who are very different than him, who disagree with him. And I love bearing with one another as a Christian idea because it calls us to sit, to eat, to drink, to laugh, enjoy your neighbors who think that you're crazy because of what you think. Whether that be even political or even what you believe uh, your religious worldview we have to be people that bear with one another. I, I think that would change the world. Think about our, our culture right now. If we could go, hey, I totally disagree with you and I think you're crazy, but let's hang out. <laughs> that is crazy talk these days. People don't want to hang out. <laughs> uh, I was on Facebook last night and looking at one of my very liberal progressive friends' Facebook and they're just so 
angry and just wanting to tell people to, to you know, shut up. And, and just as many people who are conservative and Republican are, are tending towards these types of attitudes. And uh, there needs to be room in the church for us both. I'm sorry I'm talking about politics so much. I'm wanting to make a po- apolitical statement here that we have to bear with one another, love one another, because the truth is if we all knew what each other thought about different things, it would be different stuff. It would be. And Jesus calls us to bear with one another. I'm going too long, and so uh, I'll skip all the important stuff. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, oh, man, no. Sorry, I'm not going to skip this. Um, he loved you way before you ever started seeing the world the way that he sees it. Jesus did. Jesus is still tolerating you today. He's still bearing with every one of us as we stumble our way into being sanctified. We have to know that. We are offensive. We are a mess of people. We don't deserve the love and the generosity and being called holy and forgiven. We don't deserve any of that. And yet Jesus, he bears with us and he gives it to us before He's offering it before we've done anything. And this is how and why we are able to do any of these things. You're able to forgive because you first have been forgiven. That's what this this says. How could you not forgive someone? How could we ever as followers of Jesus? That's that's a pretty crazy thing for me to say because some of you have had terrible things done to you. But... How terrible uh, are the things that we have done to him? And then been forgiven. Been been called holy, not just called holy, but then brought into the kingdom of God, called citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Given a robe and and a feast, God gives those things when we don't deserve it, when we've been so horrible to him. How could we not forgive? How could we not be the most forgiving people constantly, just Everywhere we go, just I for, I for, even before you've done anything to me, I forgive you. Your gospel identity says that you should be the most loving person in the world because who you are is someone who has been so loved. And if you don't think that God loves you, I would say you don't really understand how God sees you. And that may sound confrontational, but it's, it's a good kind of confrontation. You don't know how much you're loved. You don't know how much the Father actually thinks of you. And he loves you. And so, but how? How how do we just wake up one day and start bearing with one another, forgiving one another, and loving one another? This doesn't come naturally, I would would say. For me, I I will naturally be greedy, uh, filled with lust and anger, uh, bitterness towards my, my neighbor, In order for us to grow in our desire and hunger to put on these things, we need to know how to put this to practice. And so, thankfully, Paul gives us this. This is the last little section. Paul writes to this young church in Colossae Colossae, and gives incredibly practical instruction. I'll point out this instruction. uh, I'll point out that this instruction really just sounds like church. Uh, can, we, can we put it on the screen? Uh, fif- uh, 3.15. I don't know if we have it. Look at verse 15. This to me sounds just like doing church, doing community, doing life together. 
And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Again, this sounds like doing church, doing community uh, together. Let the word of Christ dwell, teaching and admonishing one another. I hope that's what's happening right now. I hope this would dwell in you richly and that this would admonish you, that this would give you a wisdom to, to, to chew on, to work through. We sang earlier and we were about to sing. It's crazy considering I'm, a, a, I don't know, a three-year, five-year worship leader, still trying to decide. Uh, I should not be so snarky. Uh, it's crazy that I'm a, I'm a worship leader and how little I have talked about singing and how little I'm probably going to talk about singing, but this is a, as part of the list of how to do life with your community. We sing together, and I think that's why I have so little to say about it. I think it's a command of Scripture. I happen to think this is part of the way you create a desire and a hunger for the Lord. You don't just wake up... Um, one day, decide to be healthy and just eat kale and love it. You don't. I, well, at least I didn't, because it's a little too crunchy for me. Uh, but eventually, you, over time, develop this hunger because you've been having it. I didn't wake up and just love soda. I developed that bad desire by doing it repeatedly, repeatedly. And this is what I think is so beautiful about gathering regularly. And not to give anyone a hard time, but like, is that part of your life practice? Do you want to be like Jesus? Do you want to walk in the ways of Jesus? Gather with your community and with your church regularly. I actually think Anthem Camarillo tends to do that well, as far as I know you guys. But keep at it. If you're wondering why, like why do we do this? You are here to, to develop your hunger, to develop your desire, because you can't just know the gospel you need to continue to work that hunger and that desire so that you can just step out into the world and start living the ways of Jesus, living as compassionate people, as kind people, as people who bear with one another, where we forgive even unbelievers at our, at our, our workplace. Do you want to blow someone's mind at your workplace? Uh, ask for forgiveness for something you did, something you failed at. I think that's crazy in our world today. You go to someone and say, hey, I messed up this week at work. I'm really sorry. They will try to talk you out of it. That's been my experience. Like, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. Because uh, they don't want to have to deal with uh, what, what that means. They've messed up too, and they didn't ask for forgiveness. But you are going to be the first to forgive or to ask for forgiveness. We meet together under the word to encourage one another, to sing. These things are so crucial for who we are as, as believers in Jesus because it's, it's developing a hunger and a desire. And so uh, the, the worship team, you guys can go ahead and come on up. I want to leave us with this one question. Do you desire the things of the kingdom? Do you have a hunger when you wake up for the things of Jesus? for the, the ways of, of his life.
And I'll, I'll just actually be the first that I don't think my hunger and desire is where it should be. <laughs> my hunger and desire for the things of Jesus is still in process. It's still being developed. And so if you want to grow in your, in your hunger, work through this knowledge, knowledge of who you are in Jesus, knowledge of what he calls good, ways of living, and put these things to practice. And, and right where you start to put these things to practice is right here in this community with the things that you guys do. Know that there's such purpose in being here. There's such a beautiful uh, eternal purpose in what we do when we gather. And uh, I grew up in the church, and I, I really struggled with, with why, why, do, why the heck do we do this stuff? Why do we sing these songs? There's such a reason. There's such purpose in this. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray for us. <clears throat> Jesus, we ask that you would change our desires change our hungers. And God, part of, part of that uh, is only done through your Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come and uh, would you lead us? Lead us into song. Lead us into uh, just passionate praise to who you are. God, we give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. It's in your name, Jesus. Amen.